Welcome to No Challenges, remaining episode 311. I'm Ben Rothenberg. For this episode, I chatted with one of the people most responsible for making the tennis world a better place in 2021, at least in my experience, Lewis Simmons, who down in New Zealand created the Tennis Live, that's T-N-N-S Live, app to replace the longstanding ATP WTA app, which had been a staple of the sport for a decade before abruptly disappearing late last year and leaving tennis fans in the lurch. In this interview, Lewis and I talk about filling the void left by that app's disappearance, recapturing the simplicity of the original while still expanding and enhancing its capabilities, and more things on the sort of user experience side of being a devoted tennis follower. Hope you enjoy. Very excited to be joined on NCR today by Lewis Simmons, who is the creator of I'm not even sure it's pronounced. I've never had to say that loud before. Tennis, T N N S. Yeah, tennis. I think just tennis. Oh, sorry. Pronounce tennis. Spell T N N S. <laughs> tennis live app. Download tennis. All sorts of stuff. There, Lewis has stepped in and been an innovator and savior for many during this year of tennis. Uh, united, but also disjointed. Lots of weird stuff going on with the sport. But Lewis and his hard work and innovations have shown through. As uh, in my humble, un paid for opinion to be clear this is not an ad for his products here <laughs> we'll sound like it at points stepping in yeah to make the our phones a better place for tennis and what was kind of a weird darkness spot so lewis thank you for being on here first of all no thanks for having me how did you get into creating this app that you've made for tennis and if you can explain what the sort of idea for it was and then what it became wherever you want to begin yeah, so I think for me, it was pretty similar to everyone else. I think same as you on, it must been Christmas Eve last year, saw that little pop-up on the ATP WTA live app saying this app's just not going to, you know, not going to function from 2021 onwards. Yeah. And I think that was one of the first apps I'd ever got on my iPhone. Like I'd been following tennis for, you know, forever basically. And that was the the one app I always had to follow whatever tournament was happening on, you know, the ATP or WTA tour. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about actually before let's, let's pause there to talk about that app briefly because that app yeah. was something that's been around for probably like a decade or so, roughly. Hmm. I mean, I remember having it first on an even before I had an iPhone, I had an iPod Touch that had some nice. apps on it, and it had the that that ATP WTA app, and it like never changed from hmm. the beginning. Basically, it stayed pretty much the same graphics, same everything, very limited sort of function, but at the same time it had everything you kind of needed to stay up to date on what the ATP and WTA events were, were doing. It was like simple, but it was fantastic for what you yeah. needed. It was incredibly, incredibly functional app that was, yeah, very much had a permanent spot on the front screen of any of my, my iPhones over the years. Yeah. And I think it was, I agree. It, like if you looked at it, it certainly looked like an app that was back from 2012, but it proved basically that if your app is an effective you know, conveyor of data or information, it doesn't really necessarily matter whether you've got, you know, pretty images or anything like that. Like if the data is good, people are going to use it. And that was the case for that app is that people love that app just because it was so easy to follow tennis, get the data and very quickly get across what had been happening, you know, over the past day or so for tennis. So it was, yeah, it was, in my opinion, it was the most important app for tennis. Yeah. And so then it disappears. And what are you thinking? Well, I mean, firstly, I was thinking, well, how am I going to follow tennis? <laughs> like, yeah. so 
it had already been, you know, in the first year of the pandemic, like a pretty disjointed year in terms of following tennis. I was probably following tennis the least I'd ever followed just because of, you know, a lot of tournaments weren't happening. Um, you know, our local tournament down here in New Zealand hadn't happened. And so it was kind of a question of, well, you know, what am I going to use now? And I had a look around and, you know, there are great apps out there. I love apps like Riddletina that give you like really interesting information. Um, but I didn't feel like there was an actual, you know, one-to-one replacement for that app where you could just get in there, get into the information and really see what was happening that day. Yeah. And so fortunately, you know, I work in apps day in, day out on my full-time job. So luckily had, I guess, the tools at my hand to, you know, start building it. So started building it that night on Christmas Eve, it must have been. Oh, that night. So really, really pretty yeah, quickly. Literally started the same day. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I was looking at the calendar. I was like, well, I know the first big tournament based on the new schedule, I think was, might have been in Turkey. And so it was like, you know, there was only two weeks really before people would start looking for a new app. So work to that schedule. Yeah, work through New Year's, got the first version out. I look back at it now and cringe at what that first version was, but <laughs> it got the job done. It got the scores going. Um, like even that first version, it didn't have court assignments, it didn't have seeds. It had so much information missing, but it had the data presenting in a way where you could at least get across kind of what was happening at the time. And really was just put out there to see, you know, do people actually need a replacement for that old app? And the answer seemed to be yes. So from there, it was kind of like, okay, well, let's actually put a, quite a bit of time into this now yeah. and really refine it. I was just looking, I ran a poll on my Twitter back in like late March after your app had already been out for a while. And I, I asked, now that we're a few months without the official ATP WTA scores app, what do you do to keep up with tournaments and and scores and such? That's how I phrased it. Other third-party app sites, and by this point, your app had already been out for a few, like almost three months, the rest of the day, March 25th, um, roughly. So 48% said that. But most strikingly to me, 40.5% of people said, I just keep up way less. Like, yeah. it, it, it was crazy to me, and it was it was real, even for me as a you know someone who works or covers tennis professionally as part of my job. Just having that, you know, that way that I went and checked tennis results when I sort of woke up every morning or, or whatever it was or to see what the day had ahead, having that gone creates this barrier. And when you lose, when you, when you, that part of your muscle memory gets sort of amputated or whatever you want to say, it becomes taking the next step to look for it is a lot harder. It's a lot harder to sort of relearn that sort of, that sort of behavior. And so it seemed to me like, I guess you're, your, first of all, so I think that was a huge loss for the sport. And I know there were certain, I'm not sure if you know actually all the reasons why they got rid of the the app. I've heard of a few things about the sort of software compatibilities and stuff. And if you want to fill in some of that, that'd be illuminating, I think. But um, it seemed like what you were trying to build, at least especially, especially at the beginning, was as close as you could get in a lot of ways to that to that thing that had gone missing. Yeah, absolutely. And so like the way it was designed initially was to essentially, you know, one-to-one fill the gap so that, you know, people, as soon as they get into it, they know exactly where they need to go to find the stuff. So like one of the toughest things when you go into a new app is that if you're unfamiliar with it, um, you don't know where to find this piece of information or that piece of information. It feels gross and it's just, it creates a real, it creates an experience full of friction and it's not nice. Whereas what we really wanted to do was just, as soon as you get in there, you know where you're going, you know what information you're going to get and it's just familiar. And, you know, like, like you were saying, you know, it, and I was feeling it at the end of last year was that my engagement with the sport was going down. I think 
part and parcel because there were a lot of injuries and also because there are a lot of tournaments not playing. And it just felt like this app was going to be another contributing factor to that. So when like, I remember seeing your poll when you were saying, you know, 40% of people said they just follow it less. And I think it's just like compounding issues of both the app plus also I think Federer being off the tour is, has really left a lot of people not that connected to the sport. So you know, really wanted to get the app out just to make sure like I love the sport. So I wanted to make sure that I could do something if possible to keep people connected with it. And in terms of why that app disappeared, I think, yeah, look, my understanding is pretty surface level. It seemed like I think it was written on flash technology, which is no longer supported by iPhones, mm -hmm. but I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but yeah, that was my understanding of it. Yeah. There's something about this flash stopped updating or stopped being supported. And that would have been enough for them to, I guess, abandon it but it, it's just it was just frustrating especially in this time when they've been doing all these other sort of tennis united gestures you know because i think what did pop up was an atp only app was from officially they had an atp only app and then but for so many combined events that's not really helpful and then one of the things you've been able to do i'm kind of going out of order here but um one of the things you've been able to do on your app is have it not just be atp wt like the old one also integrating itf tournaments and results and, and which separately sort of includes the grand slams that you have on there too. So it really does become, instead of having to sort of rotate, I would always rotate on, and I still probably have done this this year, you know, rotate on like, Oh, it's my two weeks to have the Wimbledon app on the front of my phone and I'll delete it afterwards or us open mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. Instead of that, in theory, I could just largely subsist on, on what your app is there sort of a one-stop shop. And that's something I'm guessing that's what well, probably was not easy to do to integrate all that stuff, but makes for a big difference in, in functionality when it's something that really can be a catch all in this very yeah. divided sport. Yeah. And I mean, like the one thing I wanted to do was firstly, make sure we cover all of pro tennis. So that's from grand slam through to ITF. And, you know, it's funny talking about like the Wimbledon app, like, you know, I created this app. I even still use the Wimbledon app because it's kind of part of that experience, right? You get to download the app once a year and have your sort of two weeks in the app and, you know, be on the other side of the world, but feel like you're actually at SW19. So, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, one of the things when we talk about, you know, that coverage that we have and we have exhibitions as well. So like even the Labor Cup this week's in the app, uh, we have the Olympics, is making sure that regardless of whether it's the US Open or it's an M15 in Turkey, is that it has the same quality of information coming through. Because I think a lot, a lot of the time, it, it feels like at least for me that, you know, from the challenger levels, the 125Ks and also ITF, they don't get as much visibility, um, which I can understand because it's lower ranked tournaments, but they also don't get the same level of coverage in terms of data and like draws and stuff like that. So that was one of the important things for us was making sure that, you know, even for these M15s, W15s, they're getting those live PDF draws. You've got the full profiles. You've got, you know, full match stats where we can get that data. It's just making sure that across all of pro tennis, you know, there's that full coverage that a lot of people are looking for. So uh, a bunch of thoughts about <laughs> different things to touches, but to back up a little bit, when you were designing the app, you didn't, especially initially, you didn't want to stray too far, add too many bells and whistles to it, um, and really just keep it to be the sort of, sim in the spirit of the old ATP WTA app, pretty streamlined. Why was that something, why was, why was that a choice you made to keep it relatively uh, spare? Firstly, it was like we we're talking about to keep it familiar. So people instantly felt like they knew where to go when they come into the app. But the other side of it as well is like the type of people who use the app, we sort of categorize as like the tennis super fans. So like yourself, the journalists, we've got a lot of coaches, players, a lot of media people in it, and a lot of people who follow a lot of tennis. 
And so something that you know feels common amongst all those people is that they're not really there for bells and whistles. They're there for data and, you know, comprehensive coverage. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we could add in, like certainly from an app perspective, you could make it look a lot more modern or a lot more interactive, but whenever you do that, you push information out of the screen view. And ultimately if people are looking for information, that's not valuable to the user. Um, so that's why that sort of formed, I guess, the, the general framework for the app. And then you mentioned one of the things you mentioned in your previous answer was the live PDF draws. There's something that you've done. Um, I'm not sure when you started doing it on the app, but I'm sure you can tell me when. Uh, so each tournament, in addition to having importing the old PDF draws, which were previously available on the old app for tournaments in a PDF viewer, you sort of make your own PDFs that are uniform, standardized for every kind of tournament. What, why did you start doing that? How did that come about? Yes, yeah, so it was, there were a couple of reasons. The first was that, you know, depending on the time zone of a tournament, a PDF draw for that tournament may not be updated for, you know, up to sort of 18 hours after play stopped. Um, and sometimes we were finding that the draws didn't come live that quickly, or um, sometimes they were broken uh, a lot of the time. And so, and the other issue was that, you know, Across the ATP and WTA, there's this the PDF draw format that you'd be very familiar with that people love. And but then when you get to Grand Slams, you know, sometimes I remember seeing like this highlighter yellow PDF draw once, and like that the the format always varies. And then at the ITF level, you know, you've got something completely different. So basically, because of all those issues, we looked at it and just said, you know why don't we build something where we have that uniform, you know, display for PDF draws that everyone likes and then apply it across all of pro tennis so that you're going to get that draw again for every single tournament, regardless of whether it's ITF or the U S open. When you say we, do you have a team? Yeah, there's a few of us working on it. So it's a very small team, but we're not full-time on it um, yeah. at the moment. So all sort of still have our full-time jobs um, would love to potentially do this full-time, but it's sort of at the moment, it's a case of, not a hobby project, but certainly something that we can't, you know, fund ourselves to work full time as a salary or anything like that. Right. Because it doesn't seem, at least to me, it doesn't seem like it's obviously monetized in many ways. Yeah, no, it's it's not monetized. So yeah, like basically we're covering all the costs at the moment and, you know, they'll eventually become an inflection point where, you know, you have to start covering the costs um, because, you know, data is not free and certainly running an app is not free so we're sort of you know looking at what those options are but ultimately the one thing it will never be is a paid for app that everyone has to pay for and not a huge fan of advertising and apps either i think it again when we have that you know like framework of trying to keep as much information on the page as possible advertising just pushes that out of the way yeah you uh, mentioned early on in some of the challenges of court assignments as being something you have to sort of program in. And there's a lot of sort of idiosyncrasies to tennis that you have to build into an app. I'm curious what some of the more challenging ones, I don't know if this is the first tennis scores app you've built, but what in terms of, I don't know, what's tricky in terms of orders of play or retirements or draws or court assignments, like you said, or keeping draws straight or qualifying rounds or whatever it may be. What were some of the trickier things to to make make sense in this app maybe it yeah, so, more effortless than the old one i don't know certainly the draws the live pdf draws are the most complex thing we've built because there's just a huge 
number of variables going into those that make them an absolute nightmare. But yeah, certainly like at the start, you know, I was talking about we didn't have seeds or court assignments. And that's just because, you know, the data wasn't available for the price point that we were paying. So, you know, there's a few different places you can get tennis data from ranging from sort of entry level through to, you know, proper enterprise data packages. So whilst, you know, we were testing out the app, we were initially using one of those entry level packages and having to do um, a lot of the data entry ourselves. So we were manually doing the court assignments for the Australian Open and, you know, adding in the seeds and stuff like that, which was a pretty painful exercise. But over time, we've got access to better data, which has made a lot more of the, um, the information in the app automated, which is good on our end. Um, but there's still like, you know, the, the main bugbear I have is data availability. And it, it basically comes down to winners and unforced errors is a data point that doesn't seem to now exist beyond Grand Slam quarterfinals and beyond. And it's such an important data point for the sport. I'm, you know, I'm sure it's the same for you, is that it's, it's one of the major factors in being able to quickly tell from a stat sheet how a match went. So we're always looking for that data point. It, I don't think it, it does exist based on what we've looked for, but if we could have you know, one wish in the world, it would be for winners and unforced errors data to come through a bit more. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's, I think largely it's only available on broadcasts that have it, if you see it at the end of sets or the end of matches, uh, you'll see the data. And I've had people, you know, reporters come up to me at tournaments, especially non-slams. Slams, it's usually better at more courts having it. But like in Washington this year, someone was asking me like, oh, how do you find out what the winners on force errors were for the first set or even for this whole match that happened an hour ago? And I was like, well, you kind of like got to go pull up the video of it and wait for the 10 seconds when they flash the winners on force errors on the screen at the end of the set to be able to find it and that's just that's not a very efficient way to be able to to, yeah, to integrate the sport and you're right that's there's there's sort of a, a split in, in tennis data which is really largely very anemic in terms of its availability and everything like that between just the, what they call the umpire's chair data or the scoreboard data which is for what the umpire punches in which is basically like who just won the point was it a first or second serve was it an ace or double fault it's kind of all you get in that data and then, and then it auto generates from that score info, like break points and things like that. And then it all, then you also get yeah, the layer of, of Hawkeye data in terms of like, you know, ground stroke speed and everything like that is another level. But then even then winners on force errors requires a, a human statistician on each court. And it's, it's not something, even when they do have it for broadcast, and usually it is the broadcasters who pay for that on a given match. Um, it's not always, yeah, readily indexed anywhere. Yeah. And at the end of the day, yeah, like you're bang on. It's it's a human piece of data. It's up for interpretation, which is why it's not available for, you know, every single match. It's not something left to the um the umpire to, you know, punch into their system. So the only solution really is to, you know, pay for more people to do it. And that's not really feasible either. So um I don't yeah, I don't know what the solution is. It's just a data point. I think everyone wishes we could get more often. Yeah. So the data I was one of the things I was curious about where you got the, the score data from the live score data. So you're paying for that from the official channels who do who who sell those rights. Yeah, yeah. We our data provider is Sport Radar. Um so yeah. they're the same provider for Google and probably a couple of others. I think the tennis channel also use them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they're sort of at least from what I've seen, they're sort of the gold standard for tennis. They've got uh the best coverage of ITF tennis that I've seen. And so, you know, when we went out to market must be in the end of March, early April, they had the most complete package that we could see in terms of, you know, data and coverage all the way through. Yeah. Now, I've written about that. I wrote a long story on here for Racket Magazine about court siding 
and about how how people are trying to get their own advantages on the data side of things mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of money in the in the data rights for the sport. I think people really don't realize it's a it's a not not quite as big a factor as TV rights, but it's not as far off as people would think. Just the sort of rights to getting just with the the scores of of matches at any given point. It's a it's a big industry sort of beneath the surface as well for fantasy sports, for gambling, whatever it may be, and for apps like yours as well. We've been adding new features to the app over time. Uh, I think doing it in a way that I think it's been good at sort of tucking them a bit to the sides of the app. They're findable, but they're not, I think you can go on the app and still use it the old way and not realize they're there for a long time. I realized only within the last week that like people could listen to this show on the app because you have a podcast (laughs) tab, uh, which includes uh, a bunch of tennis podcasts, including NCR. So thank you for thinking of us. And if you're listening to yourself on the app, it's, or us on the app, it's (laughs) a very meta experience for you here. Um, but what, yeah. So how, how have you just, how have you balanced trying to add more content, more sort of, uh, you know, color to the app and and more sort of experiences, uh, without cluttering it? Yeah. I mean, like, it's good to hear what you're saying, which is basically that it's kind of parked away. And if you, if you wanted, it's there, because that's exactly what we were trying to do is that, if you want to go into the app and still have that core experience of going in checking the schedule, checking the results and, you know, checking the rankings, it's all in the exact same place. It's not pushed away or anything like that. Yeah. And then for people who do want to engage with other stuff, whether it's you know, news or podcast video um, fantasy is coming alive as well. Now then, you know, it's there and it's you know easily accessible, but it's not going to intrude on that experience. So we don't want to at any point, you know, dilute the core experience, which is scores and results. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, knowing that a lot of coaches and players are users of the app. How, how did you find that out? What is sort of your engagement with people in the tennis world as you've developed this app? Yes. Yeah, so mainly through Twitter. So like, hmm. you know, we're always looking at Twitter mentions to see what was happening. And we were, you know, really, really lucky in the early days that um, tennis Twitter caught on to the app and started sharing it. Um, and so, you know, we could see through the you know our handle being shared and the link to the app being shared we could you know see who was sharing it and then we started seeing oh okay like patrick moritogalu sharing the app or like magnus mm-hmm. magnus norman has shared the app so we started to get a picture of being like oh okay like you know this is actually getting picked up by like people who love the sport which is like great for us because you know ultimately that's what we wanted to do was to you know put something in front of people who love the sport as much as we do yeah what have been sort of the challenges of, of this what what have there been unexpected sort of speed bumps along the way that you wouldn't have thought just from having previously been a on the consumer side of the old app that make uh, a tennis app trickier to do you might have anticipated. Um, yeah i mean the main thing is that there's so much data going through the app that small things can trigger big outcomes so especially in the early stages when we were releasing this, you know, iterating it pretty quickly after the Australian Open to try and tidy it up. Just like, you know, general things that you would do in one app didn't map that well to a tennis app in practice because there is so much data. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, for example, you know, during the Australian Open, when you go and load the schedule, you would be loading uh, like, you know, 128 different matches. And, in reality, that slowed the app down so much. And we, we were just watching it during the Australian Open and be like, why is this app getting so slow? And it was just because there was so much data. And so like, it was a great learning experience on our side 
um, and also appreciate the people who stuck with those slow loading times for a couple of weeks as we learned and figured out, you know, the best ways to handle the sheer complexity of all that data because like each individual match behind it has a lot of data as well. So when you compound that to a factor of 128 um, and then put it in the hands of some different phones, like, or even like an iPod touch, um, it could just overwhelm the phone to the point where it freezes. So yeah, certainly that was the most complex part that we had to deal with. And you figure that out now to deal with that kind of bandwidth? Well, I hope so. I hope people aren't <laughs> waiting 12, 12 seconds now for the matches to load. Um, but yeah, like after March, April, we actually completely rewrote the app. So it was a clean sheet, took all the learnings from you know that first version, um, changed the data provider and then applied it. And yeah, like now it runs, you know, it runs fast enough. I think there is still like a lot of data going through it. But certainly it's, you know, a fact of like 20 times faster than it was back in March, which is good. You mentioned sort of falling out from tennis a bit or fading back from it in your fandom um, as players been been out. And obviously things were weird during COVID. People cannot see what I see currently that you're wearing your Roger Federer hat as you record this or RF hat. For all I know, it stands for something else, but I think it's Roger Federer. <laughs> so, so as this, I'm curious, just on a personal level, has this app and this journey with it sort of changed your appreciation of, of the sport you obviously now have to see the sport from this like very multi-tiered level if you're going all the way down to doing you know 15ks and stuff uh, at the itf level um has it has it changed your your view of the sport um in any ways expected or unexpected from, from trying to from trying to make it make sense and trying to process and translate the sport of tennis into into this uh form yeah, I, I never really realized before doing this app how much is happening at the ITF level, like just the sheer number of events that are happening, you know, every week in Turkey, Egypt. Yeah. I was just never aware of it and, you know, started to get across it. And then now obviously see that sort of information coming through the app every week. It's, yeah, I think, and by becoming, I guess, exposed to those events as well, you start to see, you know, the prize money and everything and, you know, the points associated with those events and, get, I guess, a bit more of an appreciation for how much it actually takes to come up through those base rankings to actually get, you know, then onto the Challenger Tour, which in itself is, you know, tough to crack. And then to get out of the Challenger Tour onto the, you know, onto the main tour. Um, so it's something that I had never really, you know, seen much of or really, I guess, appreciated, you know, the time and money, especially it takes to get through all of that, to end up on the tour that, I guess, you know, a lot of people only watch. Yeah. Any, any ideas for what's next for this app as you reach the sort of one-year mark coming up? What uh, any, any other things you still want to do? Is it at a certain point you do not want to make it too big or too complicated, I guess, to keep it in the sort of original mold of being pretty, pretty pure? Or, or do you have bigger sort of sprawl ideas for it? Yeah. And so, I mean, like one of the things we're doing at the moment is fantasy. So uh, we're sort of finishing that one off this week, next week in terms of, uh, I guess, a more complete experience from what we can see in terms of being able to have more interactive fantasy and, you know, play with each other um, in your own leagues and stuff like that. So that's kind of the main thing at the moment. There's lots of things that, you know, could be cool, but as we talked about, you know, we don't want to dilute what the key thing is with this app. And, you know, if you put too much stuff into it, you'll eventually push people away because they won't be able to do what they want to do. So yeah, I, I mean, the way I'd summarize it is basically that there's lots of options, lots of things I'd love to do, but we won't do them if we feel like it's going to take away from the key things in the app. Cool. 
Anything else uh, you want to add before I let you go here? Thank you, Lewis, for your time here and for your service of uh, sort of reattaching <laughs> my, my tennis app appendage that had become suddenly severed by losing this, this old app. It's been nice to have something familiar and functional back in my phone and in my in my tennis life. Uh, anything else before I let you go? No, it's just really thank you to everyone who uses it. You know, like, as I said, we basically just put it out there to see if it helped people following tennis and ultimately we're people who love tennis. And so we were the biggest users of it for the first few days and then people really, you know, latched onto it and there's a really awesome community behind it now. So it's just, you know, another message of appreciation for everyone who's behind the app and anytime you have any issues, you can just message us on Twitter and we'll always be there to try and figure it out pretty quickly. Oh, one thing I didn't mention is you guys also now have a, a website or a web version of this, which has been handy uh, yeah. for desktop using. Which another thing I've been missing, sort of a unified, easy desktop score thing. Yeah, yeah and it, so like, especially in some of the different markets, especially like India, a lot of devices over there aren't, you know, the same as like, you know, 128 gigabyte devices. They don't have space for all of mm -hmm. the apps that they you like may want. And so what was important for us is also creating a version of it, which could be accessed just through the web. And so you can just put an icon to the website on your homepage and you, you know, you, you'll never be able to get necessarily the exact same experience through web, but certainly creating another pathway for people who aren't necessarily going to download the app to still be able to check in and see the same schedules, profiles, head to head on a daily basis. Yeah. Cool. Well, Lewis, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for your service to the sport. Uh, very meritorious and uh, appreciate what you're doing and for being on here. Awesome. Thanks very much. So thank you to Lewis. If you don't have the TNNS app, I definitely recommend it. There's a link to download it in the show notes here. So thank you all for listening and thank you for supporting the show. We especially want to thank our Patreon backers who support the show at patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. If you enjoy NCR, please do consider joining them if you can to help keep our ad free show going in this gap between the grand slams and to enjoy all sorts of exclusive Patreon content, including mailbag episodes and videos and games and fun stuff. And if you back NCR, you'll get to hear your name on the show. Our slam champ backers get to hear their names on every show and those names are Susanna W, Sean Mulroy, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Jean Simeon, James Hindle, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, Timothy Liu, and Ashley Keel, and our GOAT backers Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J-O-D. Until next time. Bye guys!